0: This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. you listen to the bite-sized Business Breakfast Best Bits from Friday, February the 3rd. Coming up, we hear from Naya Chowdhury, who's the Head of Growth and Digital Strategy at Noon.com. At Noon, signing a deal with IPL to bring uh, all of their Noon subscribers uh, live streaming of the forthcoming IPL season. In fact, it is a deal that takes in Uh, not just this season, but next season as well. We've got all the latest from Neha on what will be a much-anticipated partnership. Matt Stanley was also live here in studio. Uh, He's the partnership's lead Middle East region for Kepler. Uh, He came in to talk all things energy. We like to wrap things up on a Friday morning with a look back at some of the big energy stories of the week and given the fact that OPEC Plus met earlier this week, there was no shortage of things to discuss. Evan Shapiro was on hand, not to join us in studio, but join us online, live from the States, uh, where he was up late. Uh, taking in all the fascinating findings from the latest earnings reports uh, coming out of the big tech companies in Silicon Valley and other parts of the United States. They didn't make for good readings for those that have been invested or have invested in tech or for those uh, that are employed in big tech companies. In fact, uh, the three big A's all reporting Fairly negative figures. Uh, Depends which way you read them, really, which is why we asked Evan for his take on it. But as you'll hear, it wasn't exactly taken aback by the latest numbers. Talking of numbers, interest rates very much to the fore this week. We've had uh, updates from the Fed, from the Central Bank of the UAE, uh, and overnight we had updates from the Bank of England and Central Bank of Europe as well. No big surprise, rate hikes in all of the aforementioned So, we looked at what those rate hikes mean for us here in the region, but also those globally, uh, and what impact they also had on the ongoing tech earnings reports, which we had Evan talk about a little earlier on. Those were two of the big talkers of the day, right here on the Business Breakfast.
1: are surrounded by numbers to digest and decisions that have been made. It is earnings season at the moment, big tech night last night. Plus, we have two interest rate decisions coming out from the ECB and the BOE. Let's start with those interest rate rises following on from the Fed, raising rates by 25 basis points. Uh, the Bank of England and the European Central Bank have both raised their rates by 50 basis points, by half a percentage point. Uh, for the UK, it raises it to a near 15-year high. This is the central bank governor, Andrew Bailey, explaining why that was necessary.
2: We have
3: raised rates by half by percent today because we've obviously still got a very high level of inflation. I do see the signs that we're turning the corner, and that obviously is encouraging. But there's a long way to go, and there's some very big risks out there, which could throw
4: us back off course and cause inflation to be higher.
1: Which is important because like yesterday with the Fed, it's not so much about the numbers which markets have pretty much factored in. Analysts have been pretty much on the money. There's been no surprises really from the Fed, the ECB um, or the BOE when it comes to how much interest rates, the key rate, has been raised. What people have been listening for is any hint as to what will come next. Will we see a slowing or even a pause in those rate rises. And Andrew Bailey sounded there like he was tiptoeing towards it, saying things were getting better, but then finishing off that statement by saying, but not yet.
4: Yeah. one of his phrases was, I am not going to say that's it. We're done. And it was a similar message from Christine Lagarde, because a lot of the futures markets, whether in Europe or the United States, don't believe these central bank governors when they say they're going to keep on raising rates and keep them high for a long time. So, for example, if you look at what the the US futures markets are pricing in, it's significantly lower at the end of this year than what the Fed is predicting because essentially they think these guys are Bluffing. Not everyone does, but some do. They
1: have to, to a certain extent. There's a bit of bluff in it, because what you're trying to do by raising interest rates is changing behaviour. In the same way that if you go to buy a car, no one selling you a car is going to say, we're bringing prices down next month, monster sale, because you'd wait, wouldn't you? It would change your behaviour. And in the same way that they want to cool the economy, they actually want... And it always feels quite counterintuitive, but they want less behaviour. They want less borrowing. They want less spending. They want things to cool down. If you're a, a company or a would-be homeowner or whatever, and you're out there, and you know that there's only you know another month or two in it, you go ahead with your plans, don't you? And you factor it in accordingly.
4: You certainly do. Uh,
1: Christine Lagarde, let's hear from her now. She was, I would say, even a little bit more forthright, a little bit more uh, stringent than Andrew Bailey on the fact that rate rises would continue. Now, you will say, well, yes, but what about after March? Does that mean that you have reached the
4: pinnacle or the peak? No, 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 no.
1: We know that we have ground to cover. We know that we are not done.
4: Very Frankie Howard, nay, nay and thrice nay.
1: (laughs) So what do the economists think of it? This is Ed Bell, Senior Director of Market Economics at Emirates NBD, uh, telling us what he made of that Eurozone decision, first of all.
5: Starting with the Eurozone, we had a 50 basis point hike, which takes the deposit facility rate up to 2.5%, which was its highest level since 2008. Uh, The ECB commentators that we have seen in the lead up to this decision have been running very hawkish, and that's basically what we got in the statement and the projection for future policy paths. So the ECB basically said that another 50 basis point hike is gonna be tacked on for their next meeting in March, And then it's going to evaluate the subsequent path for future moves and also saying that it would need to keep rates at elevated levels for some time to deal with inflation. Um, And the president of the ECB, Christine Lagarde, she basically said that there would need to be an extreme event in order for the ECB to step down to a 25 basis point move at its meeting. So, all in all, fairly hawkish tone from the ECB, but interestingly, markets did not take it that way. So, we had a sell-off in the value of the euro against the dollar, so weakened against the dollar, and also we had a rally in eurozone government bonds, which was sort of counterintuitive to the kind of hawkish tone that we got from the messaging from the ECB.
1: So, there you go. What did Ed make of the Bank of England
5: move? From the Bank of England though, even though we got a 50 basis point hike at its first MPC meeting of the year, The shift in the policy was much more dovish and came with a lot more sort of dovish tonality. First off, we had uh, kind of more consensus on the vote, so seven members voting in favor of the 50 basis point hike and two voting for no change. That's different from previous votes where we actually had voters uh, supporting larger moves. Uh, In its statement accompanying its move, the Bank of England also said that it was no longer going to forcefully respond to price pressures. And it would tighten further if there was evidence of more persistent price pressure. Now, inflation in the UK is still high. So, there is prospect for rates to continue to move higher in the UK. However, I think the Bank of England is more or less signaling that it's coming close to the top of its peak or of its hiking cycle. uh, And then we could get up to, say, 4.75% and hold rates there and then face a prospect where it might need to be cutting by the end of this year. We did have projections from the Bank of England where they outlined a recession of about 0.5% this year and a smaller one in 2024.
1: There you go. Some uh, insightful analysis there from Ed Bell of Emirates NBD. So, uh, we had those rate rises last night. We also had a – what's the collective noun for tech earnings?
4: (laughs) Um, A switchboard of tech earnings.
1: (laughs) We did. We had a chipset of tech earnings last night. They weren't brilliant.
4: They were not brilliant, no. We heard from last night the three A's, Alphabet, Apple, and Amazon, and all of the stocks were down between 5 and 6% after hours following those earnings. They were horrendous. They're still making an awful lot of money, but A, not as much as a couple of years ago, and B, the forecast, particularly from Amazon, wasn't great. I don't think it's a disaster for these tech companies, uh, but it, the the double-digit growth rates of 18 months ago peak pandemic are behind us. And it was interesting to speak, listening to Mark Zuckerberg speak over the past, what, 48 hours when they released their earnings. He said, you know, for the first 15, 20 years of this company, we were growing 10, 20% a year. That was normal. And he said, now we've gone to flat or even contraction in terms of revenues. And he said, I don't think falling revenues is the new normal, But he said we're at the scale now where you cannot expect to go back to 20% year on year earnings growth.
1: What did he call it, Tom? The year of efficiency, which is not what you associate with these big Silicon Valley um, sort of bellwethers. You think more free coffee for all and on-site masseuses, don't you?
4: And rapid triple-digit growth. And that's fine. But you, it, it's the law of big numbers. And, and Warren Buffett has pointed this out. You know, Berkshire Hathaway gets to a certain scale. And you can't grow by 10 15% every year. GE said that as well. That's partly why they split it up. You get to a certain scale. You, you, you become the market. You can't really grow that much more than the economy when you're at that scale. Because you can't steal market share from anyone. You are the market.
1: Yeah, it's, it's true. And the expectations. I mean, Netflix is another one, I think. Um, some of the, the punishment of Netflix over uh, the last couple of years for not adding subscribers at the rate that people were used to during COVID um, has been quite ridiculous because on the face of it, the numbers have still been good.
4: They're, they're decent, aren't they? Of course. But uh, the, uh, companies like Netflix and also Disney, they're just spending so much money on creating this amazing content that we all love but I was I was listening to a really good podcast on The Economist about Disney because it's their 100th anniversary this year. Even though Steamboat Willie was in 1928, Disney was founded in 1923 by Walt and his brother. And they say that, you know, you've got... That this is Disney trying to reinvent itself as a 21st century company, but it, the way it makes its money is theme parks and cable TV and selling movies to Vox and Reel and whoever else it may be. The streaming thing, it's, it's really expensive. It's funny, actually, when we were speaking to the analyst in New York, Evan Shapiro, he's clearly a media guy, a little um, Groku, Baby Yoda from the Disney TV series, The Mandalorian, a spin-off of the Star Wars franchise. And it's brilliant TV. It costs an absolute arm and a leg to make it. And then you've got to claw back that money. $8 at a time. It's not an easy model.
0: This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com.
4: Let's get some more on those big tech and media earnings now. Evan Shapiro joins us live from New York, media pundit, professor of media studies, unofficial cartographer of the media universe. Evan, thanks for staying up late to speak with us. Really appreciate
6: it. Sure, how are you? I've been up late studying the uh, earnings reports. Well, it's drinking
4: from the fire hydrant at the moment, isn't it, this week? There's so many. Uh, Over the past 24 hours, we've been looking at the three A's. We've had Apple, we've had Alphabet, and we've had Amazon. All shares gaining in the regular session, but then falling
6: after hours. What's your bigger picture conclusion? I think there was an anticipation because Meta's um, earnings were not disappointing, which is, you know, interesting considering their net revenue was down for the year dramatically. But you know, not disappointing is the new black, I guess. And so there was anticipation that they would also kind of perform similarly, and that was not the case. Um, Apple, particularly, had a, a really bad uh, earnings call and earnings reports with their uh, biggest. Uh, revenue drop in, I think, uh, six or seven years and their uh, first um, uh, uh, sales drop since 2019. Um, And so there wasn't a lot to like about their earnings report. There was their Apple services, which did a little bit, you know, did improve, but it was the only bright spot, really. Uh, Google had overall okay uh, earnings, but if you look at just their advertising business, it was really not a good story. Their cloud business um, really, actually, uh, counteracted that and 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 created a net revenue gain. But you know, again, not a lot to like inside there. And and then Amazon, Amazon to me was the most interesting. It was uh, it was the most mixed. Um, both uh, yearly revenue and quarterly revenue were up nine percent. Uh, quarterly revenue beating uh, projections. And then you had a really nice diversified story there. Cloud slowed growth a little bit, but still up twenty percent. And then their advertising business was up 23 or 20%, um, which was a dramatic increase and and, and is really seeming to gain even more steam.
4: Okay, so those are the three we got overnight. I know one that you've looked at in some detail is Meta, or Facebook as we used to know it. You have some fairly strident views on A, Meta's Earnings they reported earlier on this week. But B, the the 17% jump in the share price that we got on the back of those. I'll let you explain that in your own
6: words. Yeah. And so, you know, their revenue was down only 4%, which was better than expectations, but it was still down 4%. And their net revenue, I think, is down 51% year on year. Their expenses keep climbing. And so basically the reaction to the stock was hey, it's a little bit better than you expected. So that's great news. And that was a lot of spin by Mr. Zuckerberg. Um, but then also they issued an announcement that they're buying back their own stock, which, right, which I really feel goosed the price as well. And then they had the benefit of just kind of this maybe tech swoon that lasted all of a day. I expect their shares to, to drop tomorrow along with the rest of the tech sector.
4: Mr. Zuckerberg called it the year of efficiency. Of course, the last 18 months or so have been all about metaverse and rebranding. But now it seems back to basic. the year of efficiency. Do you buy that argument?
6: Well, I think he's going to make cuts because that's the only thing that seems to help his share price. So, yeah, I do think you'll expect dramatic cuts in staffing and some other expenses. And I think you'll see them pull back dramatically from their metaverse. Um, uh, folly. Um, but on the other hand, you know, their expenses were up 22% year on year. So, you know, what if your net revenue is down dramatically and your expenses continue to climb, you know, I guess we can take his word for it, but we're going to have to look and see as as things move forward. Uh,
4: a quick word on Netflix, because media is, is really your sweet spot, isn't it? What did you make of yeah. not only the, the numbers out of Netflix, but also some of the changes at the top at Netflix? Just remind us what happened.
6: So, um, in the days leading up, uh, or the day that that they announced earnings, uh, Reed Hastings uh, stepped up or out or wherever he stepped uh, from his CEO CEO position, and then they announced that they had they beat their subscriber numbers in fourth quarter, which is a number they said they were going to stop tracking. And if you look at their total subscriber numbers for the year, it only went up uh, 9 million subs for the entire year, which is a dramatic drop from the years prior. And then you look at how much they spent in marketing to net out those 9 million subscribers. They spent $284 per net added subscriber in 2022. That's a doubling of the uh, cost from the year prior, which was a doubling from the year prior. So their cost per net added subscriber over the last 36 months has increased by about 384%. That's not a good story, and I think it really, really um, demonstrates why Reed decided to step away at this moment in time.
4: Finally, let's talk a little bit about your media map. It's something that you're well known for. It's hard to describe on radio. We are on TV as well, but on radio, essentially, it's, um, you map the media and tech companies and the bigger the company, the, the, the bigger the circle they get on your map. It's really cool. We'll share the link online. Uh, Apple, Apple, Microsoft and Alphabet are the three that are just the, the biggest circles on that map at the moment. Are they the big three right now?
6: Um, Yeah, those are the three. I mean, there are a number of different things. But I think regardless of how things came out, and actually Microsoft had a very interesting earnings call the same week Netflix did. But the way these things shake out, I think the companies that have the most diversified revenue streams are going to be the ones that weather the current maelstrom best. So Apple, while they still are very reliant on hardware, and specifically iPhones, they do have this massive service businesses Um, segment, which is going to continue to grow for them, and particularly their ad business, which was only $5 billion last year, you're going to watch them make major moves, starting with the halftime uh, Super Bowl sponsorship that they're taking around Apple Music. They're going to be investing heavily in advertising in 2023. Microsoft has a very diversified revenue stream. You've got gaming, which was not a gr- didn't have a great year and was actually part of their major problem. Their consumer's business was. But then they have a growing cloud business. They are actually doing the ad tech for uh, Netflix. And so they have a very uh, interesting portfolio of businesses, and they just put $10 billion into chat GPT. So you know, they have a, a, a many different revenue levers that they can play. And then Amazon, the same thing. You've got the clouds business. You've got the advertising business. Netflix has one lever, television. The companies who have the most diversified revenue streams are going to weather the current maelstrom, the changeling that they're calling it best.
4: Evan Shapiro, great talk. Do you appreciate your time this morning? You can follow Evan and his media map on Substack eShap. But for now, Evan Shapiro, media pundit, professor of media studies. Thanks so much for joining us from New York. Catch up
0: on the business headlines with the bite-sized business breakfast.
1: Speaking of changes in the industry, the EU is to ban the import of Russian oil products this weekend. It follows a ban on the imports of russian crude oil last month what does that all mean for supply why isn't oil freaking out sitting out pretty much on 82 dollars for a barrel of brent at the moment and do we have enough very pleased to be joined fresh from lunch by matt stanley middle east partnerships lead at kipler matt good morning thanks for being with us
3: good morning pleasure
1: so sunday the eu banning imports of diesel gasoline fuel oil and other products from russia how big a deal is that
3: well, it's it's been the the talking point of the energy markets for the last six months, really. I mean, since since the conflict started in February last year, that's really what caused the whole energy complex to roof. Now, it's come off significantly. By so, which you mean rise? I mean, yeah, Excuse me. Yeah, rise. Excuse these jargon terms. The one issue has been has always been the ambiguity about where supply from Russia into EU would, you know, who would resupply that. I mentioned before, Russia used to supply. F- 50% of the used diesel. So it was a diesel crisis, and this led on to other parts of the oil barrel, especially gas as well, um, you know, surging. Um, everyone's still on a wait and see. Now, yes, the ban kicks in, in on February 5th. Anything that you wanted to load, you know, before that date has already passed, has already discharged. But Q4 you know, end of December, I mean, we saw record imports into ARA from Russia. It was it was gargantuan amounts. Stocks are are building in the EU and it seems to be that people are pricing in that there's somewhat of a conduit, um, you know, maybe some triangulation that will go on. Um, it's We're not sure where these trade patterns are going to emerge yet, but at the moment people are not as concerned as they are. But there's no data yet. So it's very much
1: a, a wait and see. Okay, so if we put some of that into... Plain English for those of us not in your industry. Everyone was worried about what would happen when Russian energy was taken off the easy table. And you've got Brent this morning sitting just over $82 a barrel, $82 and one cent to be precise. Um, And it's been a week where it's hovered around the the mid-80s and the week before a couple of bucks up from that. Why aren't we seeing the crisis that was predicted?
3: Well, we we kind of the oil markets get ahead of themselves, and they're they're, they're very prone to doing that. As what happened last year, when you look at the fundamentals, right now there's enough oil, right, in Europe, and that is reflecting in in the oil price. Last year there was still the amount of supply of still the supply same supply of oil and the same demand, but prices went up to 140, in the anticipation there would be a crisis, and then as events were unfolding and you know um, price cap bans were coming in. People it started to settle down, it's basically where it was this time last year. The problem you're gonna have is that when when we're looking at this, and this is why we need to dig a bit deeper into it, is because it's not a crude oil problem. The crude oil is plentiful, you know. India and China, you know, as one of the world's biggest importers of crude oil, are buying a lot more Russian than they used to. And all that happened is where Russia were selling into the EU, now they're selling into India and China, who were selling into India and China before, we're now selling to the EU. So it's just a shift in trading patterns. The one thing that we need to really concentrate on are products. And so your gasoline, stuff that goes in your car, stuff that goes in your tractor, stuff that goes in your school bus, it's, that's what's really going to hurt the end user. That's what might have an effect on demand. Um, you know, when I, when I sent the voice note this week about gasoline prices going up 10% here. Gasoline refining margins, so the stuff when you put a barrel of crude oil into a refinery, your petrol that comes out, that's 50% higher than where it was a month ago. Because people are concerned, China demand is coming back, um, we're waiting for data on that, but it's also about the supply. Russia were big suppliers of gasoline and NAFTA specifically, which goes into making gasoline. So it's very much a, a, a wait and see at the moment.
1: Talk to me about China coming back online, which, again, we've been talking about for, for months now. How big a deal is it? No, we've got COVID cases. Oh, yep. no, we do have, you know, um, everyone booking a, a flight that, that can do um, in China. How much pressure will it really put on supply, more free movement?
3: Well, I mean, this is the question. And if you are bullish, it is that you are the bull in the China shop, literally. It is no one's really sure. How it will come back when it comes back, it seems like initial data that's coming in, it's it's surging. jet demand is way up um, in China. It's still a bit early. I think it's a kind of you have to we'll have to have, everyone will have to take a view at the end of Q one. But the world needed it. I mean China coming back um, is is a massive thing, but if you look at it from a macro point of view, growth at say three percent projected this year for China, way below the five and a half to six percent that Beijing wants. Um, it, it will it will stop the, the you know the macro fundamental traders from taking on certain positions. On if you're just an oil trader, just it's a good thing. The, the outlook looks 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 good for the second half of this year.
1: You mentioned earlier that the market was waiting for for data. What data is it waiting for?
3: It's waiting to see where you know the Russian supply. You know where where does that where does that go? Is there it, it, like I said, is there a conduit at the moment? It's very. There is so there's so much ambiguity. How does it get shipped? You know, because it's not just it's not just Russian oil products that are banned. It's, it's, you can't insure anything. You can't ship it. Um, so, what happens to the fleet? Is that literally fractured um, for sanctioned versus non-sanctioned material? Um, and and how how will European demand uh, keep up? Will, will people wear more jumpers instead of getting in their cars, or will they? That's what I mean. There's, there's, there's many, many factors. And at the moment, this is why Brent is hovering between the 80 and 85, because, you know, uh, you, you'd have to be very brave to call it now and say there is not going to be enough oil, and you could easily get slammed down on that. So, yeah, lots of ambiguities, Brandy.
1: What does all this mean for what OPEC might do next? We don't have a meeting now until April. We've yeah. slipped away from our monthly powwows. Yeah. What could happen between now and then that could influence their decision?
3: Look, the great thing about OPEC is their ability to move quickly. And the GCC core are are, are, are very much a fundamental part of that. The dynamic of the group is one that reacts as soon as it needs to when markets spike or... No, no, they like it going up. Um, It's just when it it comes off, say, 10%, then... There will be an OPEC minister or two who says OPEC will will do what they have to do when they do it and it will stabilize markets. I think um, you know, it's it's a smart move to not announce. Sorry, it's a smart move to announce that you're not going to hold monthly meetings anymore. Because before that the market took that as a positive thing. That if it was there was an issue one month to the next vis-a-vis demand or whatever it might be, then the group would do something next month. Now they're going to say bi-monthly. It just cements the confidence that the market has in OPEC that um, they are a very stable group and they are watching market conditions and doing what they have to do when they do.
1: I've got 20 seconds left with you, Matt. Can't let you go without asking you what it all means for price. Where are we going?
3: I think Brent will um, come under a bit of pressure just, just because the supply concerns that people priced in Q1 just aren't there now. Um, I mean, they are, but they're just they're not surfacing. So I think Brent will come under a bit of pressure come Q1. We could hit the mid-70s. But I think the second half of this year, we will see triple-digit oil, just because we'll start drawing down on stocks and demand returns from China.
1: How high could that triple-digit go?
3: 400. Don't know. That um, I was, I was a joke. To insert disclaimer, maybe 110. <laughs>
1: Matt Stanley, Middle East Partnership's lead at Kipler, speaking to us ahead of that EU ban coming into force on Russian oil products this weekend.
0: Just the highlights. This is the Bite sized Business Breakfast. Let's turn our attention to all things tech, all things streaming, all things uh, uh, video on demand and all things cricket. This year's Indian Premier League, the IPL, is just around the corner. Uh, the tournament which will run from March to May Thank you very much indeed uh, 2023 is the most watched event in the cricketing calendar uh, And, uh, well, there are no shortage of fans here across the region Who got used to action like this
5: Got it! Got it! And so! Yeah! Arms and
4: loft winning of the game here In Pune for Match forty.
0: Well, fans now here in the region will be able to access high-quality streams of their favourite matches on none other than the Noon app. Noon.com will stream IPL matches for 2023 and next year's season in its app. tell us a bit more, uh, Neha Chowdhury, the Head of Growth and Digital Strategy at Noon, joining us live here in studio. Morning, Neha.
2: Morning. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, thanks for coming in. Um, A lot of anticipation ahead of this one. A lot of excitement, not just in our studio, but in the building at the moment (laughs) as well. Uh, Let's get some more details about this deal. So exclusive digital streaming for the next couple of seasons, correct?
2: Yeah, for this year and for next year, it'll be streamed on the Noon app and our website in HD. So it's the first time we're doing it. We're very excited. I think our customers are also going to be very excited to see that they can actually watch the cricket on the Noon app. Just UAE? UAE, Saudi and Egypt.
0: Okay. In terms of... What it will allow. So, if I'm a subscriber to noon.com, mm-hmm. will I get immediate access or is there going to be an alternative feed play?
2: Yeah, there's a subscription feed that we're going to announce soon. It's going to be extremely affordable. There's also going to be early bird offers which customers can watch out for.
0: Um, In terms of, is it just the matches or is there going to be some add-ons as well?
2: There will be add-ons. So we'll have commentary during the matches. There'll be post-match analysis. Um, You'll be able to see highlights from previous matches. So it won't just be the live streaming.
0: Uh, from a consumer point of view, um, I, I know that y- you're not in a position to mention how much those subscriptions are going to cost at mm-hmm. the moment. You're putting those packages together as well. Will there be different packages or just a one-off subscription? There's going to be a one-off. Um, it, it, will it be affordable? That's obviously going to be the thing that a lot of people are yes, asking. Yes,
2: I really want to tell you, but I can't. But <laughs> yes, it will be very affordable. That's I think right. everyone I'm will sure be very happy. sure the
0: noon senior management will be more than happy uh, <laughs> to get this one out. Listen, uh, let's find out a bit more about the whys if we can.
2: Yeah. Why cricket? So um, I'm just going to backtrack a little bit. Um, just for us as an objective for noon, we're always trying to get more eyeballs and more traffic to the app. I think last time I was here, actually, we were talking about the World Cup we and this, yeah, and this game that we created, which uh, created a lot of traffic and honestly did. It surpassed all our expectations. Similarly, we want to try new ways to get more people on the app. And we thought cricket was a great way. Um, like you said, IPL is the most watched cricketing league in the world. Um, and especially for our UAE audience, we think it would be a great time uh, and a great opportunity to get customers on the app again.
0: Let's talk about the app if we can mm-hmm. as well. And We, we know All too well that Noon is, of course, a go-to for so many people looking to get goods delivered to their houses Mm -hmm. from uh, some of the best, uh, best suppliers out there. But, I mean, it has become a super app. Is it now deemed to be a super app?
2: Yes, definitely. We have noon, we have grocery, we have minutes, which is a 15 minute uh, delivery service. And we now have food as well. So 100% we look to look to classify ourselves as a super app now.
0: Your data must show and you are obviously an organisation driven by data must show that there is enough people are enough people out there at the moment who are willing to watch cricket on their phones, on their devices, rather than getting home to make sure it is a sort of dedication to sit down in front of the sofa.
2: Exactly, which is why it was such a great opportunity. Um, it's also a great opportunity for the brands and sellers who list on our site, right, and being able to advertise during these matches is such a great opportunity for people to then it's a very seamless journey. Mm. So I'm seeing an ad for a certain brand while watching the cricket, I click the ad, I go to the product on the same app, and then I get to shop right away. Mm. So the journey is very seamless.
0: We know IPL has been obviously a success, not just for cricketers, but also for sponsors and advertisers as well. It is a money making machine as well. (laughs) This must come as a great opportunity for advertisers with Noon as well.
2: Exactly. So the way we see it for especially our brands and sellers who are listed on the site um, for them, A, it's a lot more traffic coming to the app for their products and B, for them, they get to, like I said, advertise while I'm watching the cricket and I don't need to go anywhere else to shop their product. Mm. I can shop the product on the Note app itself. So it's a great opportunity for them.
1: How does that work though, with, and Tom, you'll know more about this than I do, the sponsorship and advertising deals that the IPL will already have? Mm-hmm. I mean, most sporting leagues will have very, very strict rules about who can attach themselves, right?
0: Yeah, I think they do. But franchise cricket is a little bit different, isn't it, Neha?
2: No, they will also have, you know, big sponsors for the, you're absolutely right, for the league. and And that's why we have rights for digital streaming exclusively. So for digital specifically, we will have advertisers be able to advertise just on the Noon app while we're watching. So that's kind of, it's a little bit separated. And in terms of what
0: you gain from this deal as well, mm-hmm. will there be any... Uh, branding, sponsorship rights that you get with IPL or not?
2: No, so it'll be specifically for the digital streaming. So that's what you will basically be able to see. The idea and the rights that we get is to be able to showcase the cricket along with the add-ons you said on our app. That's kind of what we get with the rights.
0: Galazzo worked and showed that there was an appetite for football here. Um, IPL, the next move in that uh, direction. I mean, could we expect to see more sports, more sports events?
2: Hopefully. Um, so Galazzo was a huge success. Let's see how IPL does. I, Like you said, with all the data we have, we expect it to be a great success. And then yes, again, look at, looking at more ways to engage people on the app and sports is a great way to do that.
0: Um, we know that cricket is, is, is booming here in the UAE, as it is f- quickly, rapidly developing down in Saudi Arabia and Egypt. So it's a win-win, I think, for both organisations here. IPL, a huge organization in its own right, as is Noon. Um, did this was this an overnight success or was this a, a deal a long time in the making?
2: Oh, I don't think anything like this is <laughs> overnight. A uh, long time in the making. Um, something wh- we were very, very excited about. And like you said, right? I think I think it's been nearly like fifteen seasons IPL has been around. Um, and now I think even with the auction that just went by, it's a very exciting season coming. Yeah coming up uh, a lot of eyeballs a lot of money being put behind this um and so we thought it was a great time to kind of get in as well march
0: to may you'll be able to stream it on noon uh big announcement first month of a brand new year big announcements coming throughout the rest of this year from noon
2: yes i can't say anything go on, tell us no it's fine i'll be back no one's listening right, i'll be back <laughs>
0: Uh, Neha, thank you so much indeed for that. All the best with this uh, new relationship with the IPL. New.com will now stream IPL matches for this season and next. Neha Chowdhury is the uh, head of growth and digital strategy at Noon. Thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you so much.
0: You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.